0: Good morning, good morning uh, my name is Jason Keel, and I get to share with you from the Word today, I'm really excited about it, um, yay. yay, thank you, all right, oh, someone's happy about it besides me, that's good, um, I, <laughs> well, you know that guy we're going to celebrate his birthday next week, what's his name, Joe. Jesus, that's right, no, it's not Joe, it's Jesus, yeah, uh, you know he. <laughs> that's right. You know he. Uh, he grew, he's God. That you know that's pretty cool. But he also grew up to be an, a pretty amazing teacher. And so this morning I want to share one of his stories with you that he told, a parable. Uh, and let me give you a little context first. Um, first, we're going to be reading in uh, Matthew twenty. So if you want to find that while I set this up, that would probably be helpful. But in Matthew nineteen, right before that, we'll examine a little context. This happened during Jesus' last tour, his farewell tour through Judea before he was crucified. And uh, the story starts where a group of people brought their kids to be blessed by him. And the disciples knew that he had just had a really difficult day. He'd uh, been teaching a lot. He just had a really draining encounter with some religious leaders uh, that wanted to discredit him. And the disciples thought he deserved a break. And so these little kids come up and they they, they are like, you know, let's keep these pesky kids away. I mean, you know, who, who wants kids around anyway, right? Uh, and so then, you know, the, the Jesus rebukes them and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, um, these little kids, you know, they're like the kingdom of God is made of people like this. So let them come. And so that was, you know part of this interaction that we're about to read about but then right after that as if by chance uh, this young arrogant young nobleman comes and he says teacher what good deed do I need to have eternal life and Jesus asks some clarifying questions about religious law keeping um, and the guy's like oh yeah I've done all that and so then he says well if you want to be perfect go sell what you possess give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me and this poor guy uh, leaves re- feeling really dejected and doesn't feel, I guess he, he felt like he couldn't get into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so in Matthew 19 ends with these words that Jesus says regarding these two encounters that he had just had. Uh, and this is found in 19:20, uh, 20, verses 29 and 30. He said, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who, who are first will be last, and the last first, which is a really strange thing to say, because the last are never first, and the first are never last. It's, it's an oxymoron. It, do, it doesn't happen. And so you can imagine Jesus' listeners just stopping and going, what? And then maybe there was silence for a bit. And I bet the crowd that was around, him we don't know exactly where he was, probably erupted in, what is he talking about? What does that mean? Last first, first last? I don't get it. And so Jesus, being the amazing teacher that he was, used this as a segue into this story. So let's, if you look with me on Matthew uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 15, uh, follow along while I read. It says, uh, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning, probably around sunrise, to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius, just in case you don't know, is a standard wage for a day's labor, for a, like, a, like a, someone who digs ditches or works in fields or something like that. So, verse 3, and going out about the third hour, which is 9 a.m., in case you don't know, he, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you, go into the vineyard too. Whatever's right, I will give you. And there's no specific wage promised. Um, and You can imagine they thought they'd get paid something but probably not a denarius. So then verse 5, So they went going out again about the sixth hour, which is noon, and the ninth hour, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon. And he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, which is 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do not you stay? Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the said to his foreman, "'Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, "'These last worked only an hour, and you've made them equal to us, who has borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat.' But he replied to them, "'Friend, I'm doing you no wrong.' Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my gener- generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. I remember the first time I remember reading this. I was a teenager, and I thought, this is totally unfair. I mean, this is This is awful. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've, any of you teens have brothers and sisters, but I, I bet the words come out of your mouth quite often. That's not fair. And now that I'm a father, I'm on the other end. I get to hear that. And I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But just do it anyway. <laughs> uh, and so, and I, but I, the first time, even now, it sort of grates on me. I don't, I don't understand. What's Jesus trying to say? And since then, I think, I've come to, to understand that what he's actually doing is he's explaining his, his first statement. The first will be last, and the last will be first. That's what the whole story is about. He's, he's illustrating it. So, first, um, here's some things we need to understand. Number one, God is not seeking workers for his kingdom based on any merit that they have. All right? he's not, it's not like he has a job description like most jobs do, all right? He, he's, not in, he's not on LinkedIn, for those of you who are on LinkedIn. But you post your, your resumes and stuff. God's not looking at that stuff. Um, notice how he goes out to the square in the town to find the laborers. Um, and then uh, notice how the, there's different kinds of people that he goes and he recruits on purpose. So first the owner goes out and he gets there around sunrise and there are the go-getters, all right? Now, this crew, in this crowd right here, I know quite a few of you, and most of you are go-getters, all right? You get to work early, and you stay late. The boss really likes you. You get all of your work done on time. In fact, some of you are such go-getters that now you are the boss. And your boss in back in America or wherever you're from has sent you to be other people's bosses. All right, so I'm one of these people, too. I mean, just, let's, just, let's just get her done, all right? And then I want to earn my wage, and I want to do better than it. I'm, I'm with you. I know a lot of you are like that, too. God wants you in his kingdom. That's why he went out. God, by the way, is the owner of the vineyard. God goes out. The owner of the vineyard goes out. He recruits these people. He wants them in his, in his uh, vineyard. But it's not for the reason that they think that he wants. Second, at 9 a.m., he goes back out to recruit what I call the latecomers. All right. Now, some of you are also latecomers. All right? The latecomers are the people who get to work on time or maybe about five minutes late. They count the hours until it's 5 o'clock, and it's ready to go home. And then they go home, and they're there for a paycheck. That's why they came. Right? They're not there because they love it, and they're not there because, you know, they've got other things they love, and that's fine. But that's who, this, who these people are. And so, but guess what? The owner of the vineyard, he wants them too. He goes out specifically at 9 o'clock, knowing they're going to be there, and he invites them to come. There's another group. He, the owner's not satisfied, and he wants to go get this other group. He heads out to recruit what I call the part-timers, all right? And these guys show up at noon, all right? They're there at noon. They're hanging out the hottest part of the day, and the owner goes out, and he finds the part-timers. And, you know, you know these guys, these are the people who play, stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning playing video games, all right? Uh, they're, they're the ones who are, you know, they, they want to earn just enough money to be able to play and have a good time and hang out with their friends, All right? And some of you are those guys, too. I have been that person before, so I relate. And it's, you know, why work any harder when you don't like your job? Let's just go do it and get enough money. We'll take care of our basic needs, and I'm fine. But guess what? The owner of the vineyard, he wants latecomers. All right? He wants latecomers. He wants them to come in and work in his vineyard. Then he is still unsatisfied so he heads back out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to recruit more workers. And I think these are the bad guys. These are the bad boys, you know, the bad girls, the ones who stay out all night partying, the people who have addictions, the people who have alternative lifestyles that no one else likes. These are the people who you kind of go, no, no one would ever want to hire these people. They would make bad employees. And yet he goes back out at 3 o'clock because they have crawled out of bed. There's, there's, there's old stale milk in the fridge. There's no food in the house. I guess i got to go earn a little money so that I can keep my habit going, so that I can do what I need to do so I won't die. And they show up hoping maybe somebody will be there to hire me. And guess what he does? He goes right back out to them, and he he says, come on, let's go work. So then there's one more group. The owner is still not satisfied. with There's not enough workers in his kingdom. So he goes back out at 5 o'clock, which is one hour, until quitting time. And when he gets there, there's one last group in there, i call them the rejects. The reason I call them the rejects is because of what they say when he gets there. He says, why have you been standing around here all day? And they say, because no one else would hire us. So these are people no, no one actually, they don't want, no one wants them. Uh, there's no reason given. I'm kind of making up the reasons anyway, right? <laughs> but th- these people have actually been standing there all day long, and no one invited them to come. Um, Maybe they're too broken. Maybe they have a physical, something that's wrong with them. Maybe they're, they're not as smart as everybody else. They don't know. But they've taken a chance, and they went back out there at 5 o'clock, hoping someone would come and invite them to, so they can work just a little bit, find a little fulfillment in life, provide for some of their needs. But God, the owner, wants the rejects too. And he invites them into his kingdom, into his vineyard to work. Now, each group of workers from the go-getters to the rejects, were all sought out by the owner. They didn't go to the vineyard to ask for work. They came to a central place where someone might come along. Okay, And at each of these hours, he found them, despite whatever it is they bring to the job, whatever's on their resume, and he says, come work in my vineyard. Second point. Why does he do that? God is extravagantly generous. First off, he shows the generosity by going out to find them, even the rejects and everybody else who came along. But notice how the owner pays everyone, but he's very generous with the last four groups of the five that came to work for him. He pays them far more than they deserved and even more and more and more as the day goes on. So uh, the later they come, the more generous he is. In fact, the last group earns somewhere around four or five times what they would expect to earn. Uh, and if they take into account the same, if they had come at, at dawn with the other guys. And this brings us to the last point. Not only is God extravagantly generous, he is fair and radically graceful. I think he is fair. And here's why. Because I was confused. And so I had to go to the dictionary and go, what does fair mean? All right? what, what exactly does fair mean? I had a definition in my mind of what it means. But here's what, how uh, the dictionary uh, uh, says it. It says, free from bias dishonesty, and injustice. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't mean equal at all. Uh, God is free from bias, dishonesty, and injustice. And so is the owner. Um, He contracted with the go-getters for a day's wage. And what did they get at the end of the day? They got a day's wage, just like he said. And that is what he paid them. It's, it's, It's fair. It's just. And it's not biased to the fact that they spent more time. It's equal the same amount of money, even if it's not for the same amount of work. So the nine o'clock crowd, he, he actually promised something. He said, I'll give you, in verse 2, he says, I'll give you what is right. Verse 3, sorry. So I'll give you what is right. He doesn't say an amount. And I imagine they probably suspected that he wasn't going to give them the whole day's wage because they missed somewhere around two or three hours of work. All right? So the group at noon and three, he didn't say he would pay them at all. He just recruited them and they went to work. And then the group at 5 o'clock, he says, you just go to work. You get the impression that giving them a job was grace in and of itself. Everyone got what they were promised. They got more than they were promised. Every single one of them. So God is fair and he is radically graceful. Here's the part of the parable that really cuts me as a go-getter. Verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them as equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Ouch. My go-getter heart says, ouch, ouch, because I'm looking at him and begrudging honesty is the part that really cuts me. Because that's exactly what my heart does. It's not fair. You shouldn't be generous to those people. They don't deserve it. I was out here. I deserve it. I worked my tail off all day. I got sunburned. Why does he get that? Why do so many of us react that way? Because we do, I imagine, you know, maybe even the, peop- the noon crowd was reacting that way when the people who were only there one hour got a hold of Denarius. Why did he do that? Why do we react that way? I have two ideas. about. I know why I do. Maybe you, maybe you can relate to me. The first thing is, I think God needs me. I mean, theologically, I've read the Bible. You know, I've taken some classes and stuff. I know God doesn't need me here, but on some level, when I do good stuff for God or for other people, I feel like God needs me. You know, I mean, why else would He invite people into the kingdom to work for Him, right? But He needs workers. No, He doesn't. He doesn't need workers at all. God the Father doesn't need anything. Uh, he is totally satisfied in His perfect Trinitarian relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And He doesn't need a thing from us. Not one thing. Uh, Acts 17, 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He doesn't need a thing from us. Unlike the hypothetical vineyard owner, God Doesn't need workers. He could do everything that he wants done all by himself um, and he doesn't need us. In fact, he gives these workers more than they deserve. They don't deserve anything. They don't even deserve a job. So I think one of my reasons that I react this way is I feel like God needs me on some level. Second thing, second reason I think we react this way is we think too highly of the work we do. Isaiah 64, 6, the first part of the verse, uh, just totally debunks that. He says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So, um, I, and one of my professors explained the word polluted garment in one of his classes. And he said, it's actually a dirty word that the translators are kind of afraid to translate into modern English. Uh, There is no direct translation, but he said the best would be somewhere between crap and the S word. All right? So, when you do your best work for God, it's like you bring a pile of crap and you say, Lord, please take this. And he says, thank you, son. I love it. I mean... My children, you all know, you know what this is like. You know, Your kids, they make these things in Sunday school or you know, at kindergarten, and it's made of old pieces of food, and you know, it's got this glue all over it. And, it, you know, and they, they give it to you, Daddy, look what I made for you. And you're like, This is wonderful. <laughs> and then you put it on the wall or on your refrigerator so everyone can see it, even though it's not Rembrandt. <laughs> no, it's not Rembrandt at all. But you do it. Why? Because you want to, you love them. You know, and th- our works are far worse than that. Um, you know I, I had to look a little further because that's that's just a really strange idea for us you know that, that our works are like 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 poop to God. so I looked a little further and I found Romans three uh, in verses ten through eighteen it talks about our nature because our nature is where. Our, our, our good works come from, right? This is where we dredge this stuff up to give to God, and this is the best we have. But look at what our heart is like before Christ comes and saves us, and He's making us different than this was now. Romans three ten through 18, as it's written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even One. Now, that describes what we are before Christ redeems us and brings us into his family and changes our stony heart into a heart of flesh. But the rest of our Christian lives is the Holy Spirit taking that stuff and molding it into something that's beautiful and valuable, right? But we still have vestiges of that stuff that's clinging to us as we move along and as we grow into what we are becoming, children of God. And I just want to let, let the force of those words just rest on your heart for a minute. Because that's what colors our good works, and that's why we should never overestimate how good how good our works are, and we should never underestimate how graceful God is in Christ. All right, now that you're all thoroughly depressed, <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at you. Like, you're like, "This is a Christmas message." Will you come get to the good part, please? Uh, there is good news. All right, if. In Romans 3, 10 through 18, that's our description. Isaiah 64, he talks about our good works and how crappy they are. And yet God chooses to come out of his kingdom, find us in whatever state we're in. Uh, He invites us in, pays us all a wage of rewards we really don't deserve at all. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In Romans 6.23, he also uses the word wage. In Romans 6.23, he says, The wages of sin, what you earn from your sins, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, you know, you're, you're, you're earning a wage and, it, and it's going to kill you. But you're getting a gift that's going to set you free and make you live. God is so generous. He pays us like sons partners in a family business like princes and princesses. And he does that for crappy work with grumbling. How amazing is he? How radically graceful is he? If all of this um, is new to you, if this is something that you're just like, oh, okay, what are you? okay, you just said the word crap seven times in a sermon, number one. <laughs> how, how can you do that? And I am not that bad. I, I, you know, my, my point is to convince, but I'm, I'm not God. I can't change you. But if this is really new to you, we would love to talk to you about this. There are lots of people in here who would, the elders of the church, etc. Um, but I just want to tell you the good news. Even though that's the state of our heart, we are not left within that state. We are brought into the family. We are invited in. We are changed from the inside out. And as we, we change, we become more beautiful. And Christ loves us m- never loves us more, but his love for others shines through us. And this is the gospel. One of the biggest complaints people have about the church is it's full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. I'm a hypocrite because I give crappy work to the Lord. And I make mistakes. And I'm mean. And I'm harsh. And I have no patience. And yes, some, for some reason, he invited me in. And no one else is any different. Some people are better than me. Some people are are worse than me. I don't know. But he loves us anyway. We are a group of broken, sinful hypocrites. And thank God he is radically graceful. None of us deserves to be here. But he wants us here. He wants all of us here. And he wants more. So my challenge this Christmas, if you don't know the loving, saving grace of Christ, please let us talk to you afterwards. If you do know the loving grace of Christ, man, let's have a party this Christmas because this country is full of people who don't know that and don't know what it's like and have no one in their lives who is graceful. And they need to see your grace, they need to see his grace shining through you. Let's pray. Thank you, God. You are so amazing that you came and you found us and you loved us and you. You took our works that are just worthless, and, and you accept them like, like, like Daddy takes art from a child, even worse sometimes. We pray that you'll help us, Lord, to just wallow in that grace, to cover ourselves with it, to walk in it. And We pray that other people will see you all over us because of your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.